Hello podcast listeners, this is Travis with a friendly content warning before the episode. Today we'll be discussing the short story collection You Can't Keep a Good Woman Down by Alice Walker. This is a short story collection that does depict and feature violence against women and sexual violence, in addition to some discussions about abortion and depictions of that, though kind of indirect, but still it's in there, and also featuring, I would say, the most erotic, even pornographic content we've covered on the episodes or on these book clubs so far. If any of that content might be off-putting to you, then as always, we'd recommend skipping this episode or at least doing a cursory search online about the book, maybe reading a bit more about it before listening in. For our content warnings, as a reminder, we don't do timestamps or anything because the discussion is far-ranging and we jump in and out of different stories, so we really can't provide that, just a blanket warning for the entire episode on those themes and topics I mentioned before. As always, we do hope you give it a chance and read along with us and listen to the episode. Without further ado, let's get to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Lightly Literary... I gotta restart that. I almost said book club podcast. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the only book club podcast... That and I left this blank, Amanda, this week. I totally spaced out. Do you want to fill in the the opening here? Do you want to give it a go? We're just freestyling. Uh, oh my gosh! Oh, woo! Pressure. Okay, the only book club that I don't know that that. Now yeah, it has to be. It has that. to be an allusion <laughs> to the book we read. That's how the joke format goes. You mm-hmm. know, you got to stick with what we what, with what works mm-hmm. here. I was gonna say maybe the only book club podcast that keeps all of its podcast royalty money from we keep our original tracks and you know get royalties on them years later. That's relevant, right? Yeah, I was thinking about <laughs> saying like something like that. <laughs> so yeah, that's, good. that's bought a. <laughs> then my a... mind jumped to the porn, and I was like, "No, I can't do the porn." <laughs> well, there's a lot of angles you can work this week. That's true because we are discussing a short story collection on today's podcast. We are again the lightly literary podcast. If you have no clue why we're talking about porn and about royalties from songs <laughs> that's because you found a book club episode on a short story collection called you can't keep a good woman down it's by alice walker today we'll be discussing that book in some detail uh, i'm one of your hosts travis joined as always by amanda hey amanda hello anything to get off your mind about porn before we get further into the episode uh nope <laughs> Yeah, okay. So. I think good. <laughs> we'll save the analysis for later. We we're making it's just one of the names of the short story, so we're we're only joking for good for a good cause, for a good reason. Mm-hmm. If this is your first time listening to the episode, well, howdy doody, you chose kind of a rough one, but that's okay. We'll welcome you all the same, even if our we're not at our sharpest. <laughs> we are a book club podcast that today is going to do an analytical deep dive about the book I already mentioned, and that's again, You Can't Keep a Good Woman Down by Alice Walker. We have social media accounts up, so if you you found us online through any podcast portal of your choosing apple um, spotify google store all that stuff we always appreciate a rate and review and if you want to keep up with us we have a facebook account and an instagram account they are both just at the lightly literary podcast all one word so nice and easy to follow there we post the books we're reading the schedule upcoming things things we've chosen and there's some art too on the instagram account if you want to uh, see some interpretations of some of the books we've been doing that's up there too 
This book, again, should I say the title a third time? Why not, right? Can't hurt. It's the first episode. Is You Can't Keep a Good Woman Down by Alice Walker. It is a short story collection. Today we're going to be discussing roughly the first half of the book, and we will be spoiling all of those stories and discussing anything we want, all the details, etc. That's what we do on these book club episodes as we do the analytical deep dive portion. This was Amanda's pick, so why don't you, before I talk about the stories we'll be talking about, Amanda, describe, or des- describe, if you will, <laughs> um, talk <laughs> us through, rather, why you chose this book. The prompt I gave you for this pick was to pick a book you haven't read by an author who you already love, so take it away. Um, I chose this one because I read Alice Walker's The Color Purple, Um twice actually once in high school Mm -hmm. and uh once in college and i absolutely love her style and i've read um i think one or two of her nonfiction works as well some of her essays and i just thought that she's very thoughtful as um a writer and also as a philosopher so i wanted to choose something that um i thought would be really interesting by her and uh this one in particular that you can't keep a good woman down by the title indicates that it's going to be one of her Uh, womanist works so um Mm -hmm. i was interested in seeing some more of that and and i just love alice walker as a writer so i had no idea she dabbled in and wrote philosophy i it's pretty clear from the cover of this or not the cover but the one of the insert pages that she was pretty prolific i don't think i've encountered her at length before hmm because I've never read The Color Purple, which is definitely the most famous thing. That's the name. I know that name, you know, but I've never yeah. never read that. And I think maybe she ended up, I'm sure she did in some kind of anthology I probably read from at some point. Or, you know, ended up in some, one of some lit class from the now the far past, the long, long, deep past. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, definitely not familiar with her style up front. So it was new to me, too, which I, I always excites me. Yeah, I hope I hope that this inspires you to read The Color Purple because that book is just so amazing. It it's just so mm-hmm. beautifully written and just oh man, it changed my whole world. Like I loved that book so much. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I would say so far the indications are positive. We'll get into the book club in a second, and that'll start to hint at what I think of it so far. But yes, I would say overall strong first impressions so far, really enjoying it. It's been quite a read. We're not here to rate or recommend the book, though. We're here to discuss in detail, so let's get into it, huh? Yeah. We'll be discussing the first half of this collection, which according to my softcover copy, went through the stories titled 1955. That's the first one we're going to cover, and then we're going all the way through until the we get to the one that's... It's titled Porn, which we've already alluded to pretty heavily, <laughs> and we're going to discuss that one also. So anything in that span is fair game. Hopefully that makes sense. Does that make sense to you? Yep. Excellent. Okay, if that's clear enough, then we're jumping right into things. We'll begin our book club today by doing some fill-in-the-blank prompts. We usually do these for part one book clubs just to initiate some kind of conversation, talk about some of the book so far, in this case some of the short stories we've read and enjoyed. I'll throw mine at you, because I know we each came up with a blank this week, so I'll throw mine out there first. Uh, my fill in the blank was pretty simple. The character so far who deserves his or her own novel length story is and then you take it away from there, Amanda. Fill in that blank. I said Gracie May Still from 1955. Uh, there are lots mm. of hints about her life, and it, she, it seems like she lived a very full life, and there are some kind of allusions to it like um 
that she had several husbands. Um, there were a couple yeah, of yeah. mysterious deaths. There was like an arrest. There were fights and arguments. And also she led the life of a traveling musician. So I thought that was oh, really yeah. interesting uh, and, and could be something that could be developed into uh, a novel, but also how comfortable this character is with herself in a lot of ways and how confident she is and how, um, sure she is right. of herself. So all of those things that would lead to someone like that, I think that would make for, yeah, really that's really well novel. chosen. Her voice was also pretty, pretty well realized and pretty fleshed out. I think she had one of the more striking personalities and I think her mm-hmm. attitude towards life, sort of a very, I don't know, this is probably culturally the incorrect term but in american shorthand she's very zen would be <laughs> the inaccurate inaccurate application yeah. of that term but she has a certain way of approaching life that i feel like for a novel that could she could fill that out yeah it was definitely fun for a short story and she made for such a yeah. foil to the whoever the rock star was was that supposed to be elvis i didn't get a lot of the illusions i just in my brain i was like that's eh, the 50s rock star making way too much money kind of living lavish i was just like it's elvis i think <laughs> but i don't know I yeah I think so. There were other hints that it was yeah Elvis as well, like the the going into the army right during gotcha. the war and the weight gain and the sudden death yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it was yeah, like, and I like I couldn't even tell if the names were changed. I didn't Google anything, and I I know that um, at least I'm sure at the time this was true, but especially like posthumously, he's been accused of kind of like culturally stealing some music and borrowing in traditions that he didn't give you know cultural accusations so it just it felt like that's who it was either way a rock star that's a good pick my fill in the blank for this one is probably the protagonist who i think is unnamed from the killing story which i'm not going to say the title of it's how did i kill the lawyer or whatever that title was do you remember if that character had a name i think specifically she did not have a name yeah yeah which i think was fitting given how brief that story is and kind of just intense it's you know a really short murder revenge story i mostly just thought it was because that one had a real punch and intensity in such a short span now this is a difficult one though because i think that character i i don't know if i would want to i'm not like asking for a story like i need some kind of victim I don't want a novel-length story of a sexual assault and, like, rape victim and stuff. I'll, I'll put a trigger warning in front of this episode, too, I think. But anyway, I so it's like, that's a tough part. I don't I don't know if I want that whole plot, but maybe if they could string along the relationship and the predatory stuff without being, you know, if the novel didn't have to be so, so like, exploitative or graphic. And I don't think Walker would even do that, hypo, you know, even if it was hypothetical. But, yeah, I just thought that her... I don't know, the high drama of it, it's like soap operatic mm-hmm. in a way. So I think it, it would bring some kind of drama to a novel length story that would be that could be engaging. Yeah. And the other one I thought of was um, Imani from the abortion yeah. story, which I think was the character who jumped out to me across all of them in terms of dynamics, complexity of relationships with other characters. It was, I think her story kind of grabbed me the most. But the one from The Killing, I think, would be... I don't know, just, you know, an illicit affair. There's the racial dynamic. There's the age dynamic. There's the gender dynamic. Plus, you know, I think it was in Georgia or something. And then you get to have this, you know, intense climax. And I don't know. That one I spoke to. Yeah, me. that makes sense to me. I, I thought that um, Imani and the abortion too. that story really gripped me as well, in particular, um, her character and and um, the way that she kind of rationalizes stuff and is 
the falling apart of their relationship at the end and how they have different ideas of what caused it. I, I just found that story really compelling. And also for the for as well realized as her internals were, it also had probably the most herky jerky kind of plot jump time jumpiness in it, which I think for the for a short story it needed to get to some of those ending moments. But then at the time, or, or in relation to this question, I think yeah, okay, you could. I mean, there's so much you could do with if you're if you elongated this into mm-hmm. a novel. So anyway, one um, is out there, and you can either toss it to me or fill it in. What's your fill in the blank? Sure. I said uh, the male character who is most realistically depicted is blank. And you can take realistically however you want to, like realistic to you or the one that's the most well-rounded or, you know, there's several meanings to that. So whatever you think. Um, But I'll let you go ahead and answer that one first. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. I think in a sense, she has a sharp eye for kind of male foibles and and faults and such flaws, and they each get their kind of like moment to be imperfect. I I guess I'll pick the story 1955 just because it shows the, I don't know, I guess it was more of a commentary maybe on celebrity than men, but his lack of understanding, his kind of disillusionment with success. This is a story, and maybe it's a story not many people are interested in anymore, and that's fine because of privilege and all that, but it's a story you often hear about people who end up attaining a lot of success or even material success. It's just they sort of end up maybe confused or lost or listless, kind of purposeless. And I think his kind of his his bumping up against her just made again there were such perfect foils and so i don't know if his was the most realistic but i feel like his journey resonated it jumped out right away to me that like oh yes this is a modern story we know well you know it's we see public figures who do this we see uh, billionaires who can't seem to find anything to do but build rocket ships into space or what have you right. um, a noble yeah. public endeavor i guess but we'll, who knows if that tech will will make it for a public good <laughs> tbd uh, right. big time but anyway so i just think let's go with that though i think i don't know based on personality and uh, more subtle dynamics i bet there's a better answer but that's mine how about for you i think uh well um i said that Clarence from the abortion to the husband from the story of the abortion. And Mm, the mm. reason that I think that he's realistically depicted is that he's so focused on his life outside of the family, which traditionally, right? Like the man is supposed to be the one who deals with the outside world and the woman is supposed to be the one who deals with the domestic world. Right. That's, that was kind of the setup for a long time. And so, the mindset of that is something that people are still overcoming in a lot of ways. And even if it's, you know, subtly still there, sometimes it is still there. There's still the idea that, oh, the man should be the breadwinner and the woman should be the one to be the caretaker. And we still Mm -hmm. see that affecting our society in a lot of ways. So I thought that was pretty realistic. He's focused on his, on the politics, on his career and what he thinks is best for his family and community um, so not just the family, but his entire community, which is why he's like hobnobbing with the, the mayor there. Um, and in the process, yeah. he sacrifices his wife and his relationship with his wife in order to accomplish those things that he thinks is better for everyone. Um, and I think that he's mm-hmm. also the most sympathetic character because like he's doing these things not necessarily for himself, but for what he thinks of as like the greater good. Right. He's trying. He's very loving. Um, So I also think that of all the characters, he's the most well-developed male character out of all the other ones. 
Um, although the character Trayvon in uh, right is isn't it Trayvon Trainer Trainer that's what it was Trainer okay. in nineteen fifty five he um, he was my second choice for this um, for the same reasons oh, okay. that you you have but I, he seems to have uh, he 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 has the struggle to for self realization which I think mm-hmm. um, was mm-hmm. really appealing to me. Yeah, the complexity of the – we were just talking about the one from the abortion, right? Yeah. The, the, yeah, I forgot his name already. You've, it's me Clarence. and names again. I'm back. Yeah. I'm still the person <laughs> I am. They haven't changed a, a one lick. Anyway, <laughs> but yes, their dynamic – and I, I do like it was subtle, but how you know she couldn't fully kind of morally – not antagonize him or morally kind of attack him or something because there's also the race element of he wanted to help the first black mayor. It was a big deal. It's a huge commitment. They're trying right. to make big strides. You know, he's trying to help what he considers a pretty, I would consider noble effort or something, you know, an important effort um, in terms of changing those dynamics. And so there's also that kind of complicating it. I wouldn't say that was a major part of the story or anything, but it was, it was just there enough so that you knew their bristly awkwardness, that dialogue, that the fact that they couldn't resolve these relationship issues, you kind of understood what was in the background of it, that it wasn't some kind of, it was genuinely important, not like falsely perceived as important or something. Right. Right. Yeah, an interesting one. Okay, well, let's hey, let's get out of the fill in the blanks. That was an overly long segment that I really enjoyed. <laughs> but let's get to uh, let's get to some other segments. We're gonna now do surprises, pleasant or otherwise. This is just what it sounds like. We each pick a couple of things from the text so far that surprised us, and again, it could be anywhere from good to bad, anywhere in between. Amanda, why don't you start us off? What is your surprise from the book so far, or if or if you got a couple? I just have one, um, and it mm-hmm. is this story coming apart. Uh, in that, I was surprised that – so this is marketed as a short story collection, which on the cover it says short stories. So I wasn't expecting any kind of nonfiction piece to pop up. But yeah. but then it had this introduction, and it was very academic and, and referred to um, other authors who were writing about um, – what's going on with the African-American black community. So I thought, so when I read that part, I was like surprised, but I wasn't like unpleasantly surprised. I thought that it was a pleasant surprise because I do like her nonfiction writing. And so with that introduction piece in place and that story, and then also reading the story porn with that introduction in mind, I think that I gained a lot more out of it than if it had just been the stories by themselves. Yeah, it's we don't need to revisit conversations we've done on previous episodes. It was the only one that didn't work for me. I didn't actually write that down as an unpleasant surprise because I enjoyed everything else so much. I it really didn't even I didn't even think it to include it in this segment, but I'm glad you brought it up. Well, and mostly I'm glad you enjoyed it. I just it it hit notes of remember when we did that short story collection with the activists i forget what the theming of that was. It was kind of like progressive modern activist stories or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, um Adrian's uh, or Octavia's Brood. Yeah, Octavia's Brood. It reminded me too much of some of that. I just don't. I just don't see the point. It, it, if you're gonna do block quotes of many different scholarly texts, then just do the nonfiction piece you want to do, and mm-hmm. that's fine. <laughs> like, just write an essay, and I'm that's cool. I don't need a character quoting block quotes at me, and then like kind of going through some like more limp dialogue with another half-baked character it just i don't know that 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 effort that textual effort 
belongs to character development and like fictional elements to me i just it was too much i guess it was too much but i you know i think transitioning that story or having it pair with other ones in there especially the porn story which i thought was pretty excellent actually i thought that one and the abortion one were both pretty strong and so yeah that's i'm glad you brought that up and mostly i guess i'm glad you enjoyed it yeah i i did and i get it like the the block quoting to in the story itself i was kind of like well yeah but the information that it provided, it may it makes me want to actually go ahead and read those um, pieces as well on my own when I have the time. That's and you know the exposure argument we've talked about that with the other one too. I guess you can't. I just can't believe that there are people out there who need their fiction to do that level of it for them. Like that, then they should be reading nonfiction or researching. I don't know. It just there's a real disconnect there to me mm-hmm. because it doesn't do the things that I think fiction is best at doing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like an inefficient delivery mechanism for two different things, basically. In in a way, I don't. That's a crude reduction, but that's just how it feels when I encounter something like that. I would much rather. What if she wrote an essay about those three pieces, interwove some theory, talked you through some ideas, and then that was the of this book and then now you can go read all those short stories with these theories in mind like again that's just Mm -hmm. how my brain wants it i want you to give me some lenses give me some theories like cool look at these ideas and then now go off and play you know go now go read some interesting fiction and like intermingle some stuff if that makes sense i don't know it just that stuff just well i don't think it'll ever register for me ever i just (laughs) for as hard as i'll try i'll keep trying you know um (laughs) So that's, yeah, that's my reaction, but I'm glad you included it. I've got two pleasant surprises. Again, I didn't even think to include that. That was like the only negative reaction I had to the whole book, so (laughs) didn't even (laughs) think to include it. Um, I think so far, we'll start with this one. Not something I've been pining for, not something we've really picked for, but I'm glad. Have we picked anything else so far that has well-realized sexual relationships in it or even sexual encounters, really? Well realized. Ah. No, the Murakami's not. Let's not give him any of that credit. No, that's one thing he's, he's never done very well. Yeah, <laughs> no. and he's and he's and he's pretty roundly criticized for it. It's true. That's fine. No, no, the, oh, no, and I don't think it was meant to be a smooth <laughs> relationship yeah. there anyway. Um, and for him, it's not about the sexual act. It's about the conversation afterwards when you're making a meal or something, you know, it's not right. It, he, he has no interest in the mechanics of it. That's for sure. Yeah. I don't think so. Cause there, I mean, bluest eye, but that was a totally different thing. Right. And then there was native speaker and there was Evelyn Hugo, but the, Ooh, native speaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That had some that had some moments in it, I feel like. But again, that was so tied up in trauma, too, because they had lost their son. Right. So I think it's slightly different. Yeah. But yeah, I guess this is the first one that has a pretty unbridled description of healthy sex, basically. There we go. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so even Evelyn Hugo, that's the thing, oh, man. Talk about a book that danced around some things that would be, would have been difficult to write about, and, and it just didn't. But I do you remember a scene like they they talked a ton. Her and her the uh, love interest, the woman she fell in love with, right. they talk a lot about things. They hash things out. Like they definitely have a romance in that story. But do you feel like there was a scene of sexual intensity? Like I don't think. Not that, and it's strange, again, I'm not pining for this, I don't read basically any erotica, but this is the closest we've gotten to something like that. I think so, um, and thinking back on Evelyn Hugo as well, which I was expecting, because it was like, 
marketed as like a romance so i was thinking like romance is in like mm-hmm. harlequin romance so i was expecting something like that but yeah the 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 sex scenes in that book were just more like um her comments on the sex rather than the actual like scenes of sex Right, right. And because she's narrating, supposed to be speaking this aloud from memory, it would lose. Right. I mean, you can't take as many literary liberties, then you can't write it in an intensely poetic way or even try. Right. Because that's just not how people speak but when they when they talk about their memories most of the time. So right. I, I do appreciate too this story so in this collection this is the benefit in my mind anyway of a well-done short story collection which this has definitely been so far and then you get twists on that too because there are a couple of these stories where sex is either nonchalant and kind of just almost uses a joke like the woman in 1955 she she often laments not losing weight and then she goes yeah but men don't seem to care i i've got my men on the (laughs) so it's like okay i mean for her it's more of an amusement and like she's not stressing you know about it and then obviously there's the trauma too in killing where it's used, you know, rape is used as a control device and a manipulative thing, and it's like a weapon. And then it, you know, turns violent, of course. Um, From violence comes violence sometimes. So it's just hitting it from a lot of angles, which I appreciate. But definitely that stood out to me. That was the biggest surprise, I'd say. And then a slightly um, maybe less unique surprise or something. This is just a minor comment, but... It, this is the first, I think, real attempts at some serious dialect and colloquialism work that we've mm-hmm. seen, unless I'm forgetting something again. I don't think so, no. Yeah, it's, I, and I think Kim Ji-young probably included plenty of translated Korean phrases, mm-hmm. idioms, whatever, but like in the translation, I don't think that stood out to me, or it wasn't, I don't know, it just felt very, it felt like a very neutral voice uh, translated for Americans. And Murakami, too, it's like, you know, I'm sure we're missing some Japanese stuff in there in the translation, but I can't say I look back on it thinking that it was had some unique voice to it. It, again, just reads like kind of these quirky people speaking in Americanized English, you know? <laughs> and so maybe the King stuff. Well, there was the professor, the country professor. <laughs> oh, but yes. And he was, but didn't he have like a Southern draw? Yeah. He, it was like, he was written like a Southern goof, you know, kind of like a, what was it? What did he keep saying? He had a phrase. <laughs> I don't know what the actual phrase was, but in my mind, it just, it went to a hyuk. <laughs> like that's kind of like what I kind of, <laughs> Oh yeah, it was like the he had the hate yeah. the, the straw the yeah. wheat straw coming out of his mouth. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I know. you've been up in Maine too long. You're <laughs> starting to bleed into you. Yeah, that's great. So I just appreciated seeing it. I think 1955 again starts the collection off so well because it's it demonstrates quite clearly and right away that she has this ability that she's able to hone dialect and kind of use that to make the narrative voice pop and everything. And the just the main character comes out such with a, such a clear and wonderful voice right away in the first story that it was like okay yeah that's it set a nice tone and then I don't know if any other stories did it quite as well or especially as intensely as she was going for in the first one but it worked and so it was just nice to have that right away and think oh yeah this is quite different than what we've seen I even Toni Morrison didn't I don't know I mean all the characters had a literary unique voice and I'm sure if I went back and looked it over the kids had some definite mannerisms and speech patterns that were like okay they they have a southern uh, like southern black kid in the whatever that was like 60s or so there's i'm sure there's some uniqueness there in there you know syntax and whatever but even that doesn't 
it was so overpowering in the literary sense that I don't remember the bluest eye as like, oh yes, it was a master of voice. It was more just yeah. everything. I don't know. Cool. Any other surprises or thoughts on those things? Nope, I'm good. Well, excellent. Let's dive into some detail here. This is a segment we're going to get into. Well, yeah, let's let's do the motifs next. I was about to switch them, but no, I like this because we haven't really had a chance to quote very much yet, which is, you know, shame on us. We're here to do the deep dive. <laughs> We've also been summarizing <laughs> things so far. So let's jump into the motifs that matter segment. This is a straightforward segment, but I'll explain it again. We each pick something from the book so far, and with short story collections, this works especially well because it's you got to kind of try and work extra hard to see the cross connections, but we each select a motif from the story or stories that stands out, something that is interconnecting all of these, an idea, a symbol, you know, just a motif means anything repeated, really. And so, Amanda, why don't you take it away? Um, what is the motif you chose? Uh, the motif I chose is the idea of living as in enjoying and experiencing life hmm. and just reveling in life, um, hmm, yeah. which is something that has come up in, in a few of the stories. So the first one is from um, 1955. And what I found interesting too, in particular about the, the con- well, that's like the whole theme, right? Like trainer is uh trainer slash Elvis. Is, you can just um, call him Elvis. I'm not even going to remember trainer. And it was so <laughs> even to my untrained history of music brain even i registered him as elvis <laughs> <laughs> and i know nothing about El- literally nothing about elvis i didn't know any of the facts you said at the top about the military about gaining weight i literally didn't know any of that so <laughs> oh wow <laughs> yeah i don't know anything about elvis <laughs> basically except for his look and his slogan and that he died on the toilet so congrats yep, elvis there you, go. you lived you lived well <laughs> <laughs> um so um the, his inability to understand the song, so he sings it exactly the way that she sings it, that Gracie May still sings it, and everything like that. But he struggles with the with understanding the significance of the song, and it starts eating away at him, which is a funny, actually, turn of phrase, because mm-hmm. um, the the weight aspect is kind of tied in with both of them, where their their weight kind of like fluctuates, but it's also like. Uh, tied in with their personalities and stuff, but the the living and enjoying and experiencing life um, is what was missing for Elvis in in that respect because he was just in it for the fans and in it for the money, and he could not, for the life of him, understand the song that made him famous, and it was driving right. him mad. So, um, with the weight and the fat, I thought that was also interesting because both characters gracie maystill and um elvis they were both struggling with their weight um but for i think different reasons he was eating to fill the the lack of actual substance for himself um whereas she looked at her weight as um a kind of um uh, proof as proof of her having lived um, in a lot of ways. So if we look at, where's my book right here? Um, if we look at page 12 from mm-hmm. that story, she says, I'll never see 300 pounds again. And I've just about said, excuse me, fuck it. I got to thinking about it one day and I thought, aside from the fact that they say it's unhealthy, my fat, fat ain't never been no trouble. Men's always have loved me. My kids ain't never complained. Plus they's fat and fat like I is, I looks distinguished. You see me coming 
and know somebody's there. So for her, the, um, the weight and stuff is a symbol of her having lived a full life. Um, Mm-hmm. And so she also says on page 19 um, that my fat is the hurt I don't admit. So again, there's that uh, having lived life to have that emotional pain. And again, the weight being a symbol of her having lived that life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Versus the- um, Elvis, which is on page. If we look at page 13, mm-hmm. he says, uh, trainer was talking very dreamily. It was dark, but it seems like I could tell his eyes weren't right. It was like something was sitting there talking to me, but not necessarily with a person behind it. So he has no substance. He's empty on the inside, and, and he's a big guy too, but he's his is just him trying to, I guess, look the part and act the part rather than actually living the part. Yeah, kind of a fraudulent. I mean, in his, you could compare, you said it well, but their life experiences and where the weight comes from them. Like she says, she, she, you know, enjoys the food she eats and maybe like lives to maybe a little too caution free or something. But then also it probably comes from, you know, meals with friends and family and stuff. And his is all, I don't know, like artificial. I don't know if that's the right Mm -hmm. word for this, but it just, it just comes from excesses of wealth. And so it's, you can have the same you know, physical transformation in the story, whatever that wants to symbolize. But, you know, the root of it is, is all the difference. It seems. Yeah. His comes from insecurity, you know, lashing out with his money, basically not knowing what to do with it, not knowing how to put meaning into it and such. And so, you know, you can't, you can't teach that as they say, as the cliche goes, you know, you can't, (laughs) you can't coach that out of him. It's just that's, he's trapped with it because of, you know, the way he lived or he earned it and the way he lived. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Okay. And there, you're saying other characters have lived? Surely not the character in The Lover. I mean, that's not that's not living, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in The Lover, if we look at page 37, <laughs> um, the main character, of course, has lived. Um, and she is very proud of that. So on page 37, starting at the very bottom, um, it says... As for her work, she did not do hers the way he apparently did his. Hers did not mean to her what he seemed to think it meant. It did not get in the way of her living, for example. And if it ever did, she felt sure she would remove it. Prizes were nice, especially if they brought one money, which one might then use to explore Barbados, China, Mozambique. But they were not rewards she could count on. Her life, on the other hand, was a reward she could count on. So, um, you had meant, um... So that, like the the theme of we'll see a lot of characters dealing with like fame and the idea of like artistry and what you know art for art's sake and stuff right, like that. Right, right, right. Um, and um, but what I liked about the lover is that it also is like she uses that she does art for her own sake, right? For art's sake and for her own sake. But what she excels so much at it that she gets all these prizes and stuff. But she uses that money to go out and explore and live her life and there's a a whole thing that she goes through with that too so i thought that added a a little element to that theme that's been played out in several of these stories for sure Um, yeah yeah. it was interesting to see her then because doesn't that story conclude by her kind of just returning home having been pleased at this retreat and just sort of found love again but then she immediately abandons it and just goes back home isn't that kind of was that the conclusion well, she she loves to be in love, and so right, she right. she uses the guy 
and she writes him like passionate love letters and stuff. But she even says that she writes it because she likes the idea of being in love, not that she's actually in love with this guy. She actually finds him quite annoying, and she says it <laughs> quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, um, she but yeah. She like across yeah, the country. <laughs> she, yeah, she leaves and she goes back to her husband and makes like beautiful love with her husband, and then like leaves again for another adventure. I think she dreams of it, but yes. It's, I don't know, isn't it kind of, I mean, it's not sorrowful for her, and so maybe it's, maybe I'm doing, maybe I'm just like taking up the position of the man or something like weird like that and inserting myself in that way, but it's, so she does return to the husband, and I guess it's just a different definition of marriage then, because it doesn't provide her with kind of passion or intensity or interest, and so it's it's just interesting to see a scene where you conclude it's the, got this moment where she's in a pool underneath the sunlight collects in a pool and she's laying daydreaming of other places, but she's you know she dreamed of her husband making love to her on the kitchen floor, but then in the dream of that she's dreaming of leaving. It's it's just a very odd. It's an interesting. I guess I shouldn't say odd relationship with her husband. It's in yeah. the, she goes to other places for other things in her life. Now that to me as an unmarried person seems it seems healthy to have other types of relationships with other people to fulfill other things, right? You don't want to put if you put everything on your spouse, like my God, that's a recipe for disaster, basically. So, right. uh, but so, but just to see it end that way, I can't tell if it's kind of a forlorn ending or hopeful. Like you said, it seems hopeful because she dreams of adventures, but then again, she's just gone back home out of what obligation, just out of routine, out of out of a fill. Is it kind of just like a filling of a tank almost? You know, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure how you felt about that ending. I thought of it as like a filling of a tank. I think that's a good analogy there. That's how I read mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. But that it's like a stopping point for her and um, or more like um, like a rest area on a journey. Right. Like her husband is her rest area is how I hmm. kind of saw it. Interesting. And they do. I mean, it's getting back to the the description of the surprise for me like there's some well done descriptions here of sexual intimacy and the way they the way they cuddle the way they kiss the way you know she like sit rests on him and sits on him and things but then to see all of that then it, it just yeah it's a fascinating dynamic one that i can't say i've ever felt where she can say there's all the description right that long paragraph of that and then it opens with she didn't like him and just kind of didn't really mind that he was there she just wanted to be fiery in love with him it was just yeah, it's certainly just a different notion of love, I guess. Different definition. Yeah. But she found what made her joyful, I suppose, right? To refill the tank. Exactly. Yeah. And she knows how to actually finish poems that don't take 10 years or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of a misanthropic, kind of sad fellow, I guess. <laughs> just kind of a, just kind of laying about, you know, finishing his poems slowly. <laughs> any other examples of what do you want to call it you said living life i was gonna say enjoying life but i don't want to put words yeah. in your mouth no enjoying life is good yeah mm-hmm. um i have one more and it's actually from the abortion the story of the abortion mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. both have already talked about um but on page 67 at the bottom it says her first abortion when she was still in college she frequently remembered as wonderful bearing as it had all the marks of a supreme coming of age and a seizing of the direction of her own life, as well as a comprehension of existence that never left her, that life, what one saw about one and called life, was not a facade. Um, There was nothing behind it which used life as its manifestation. Life was itself, period. At the time and afterwards and even now, this seemed a marvelous thing to know. 
Um, so here again is another example of, well, in this case, um, coming alive and living life to its fullest. But in order to do that, you have to make certain sacrifices, uh, including like making certain choices in your life. And even in the end, um, when she leaves her husband and everything like that, that's also, again, her choosing to live her own life the way that she in particular wanted to live it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, at the end of that, see, the, the, everything has a hint of complication. Did you? What about the way that scene ended with the doctor? You didn't find that... I felt like it was she led us to then for, for the negative turn or twist at the end because of how, you know, because he's, she's with this gentle, gentle man, not gentleman. And it's, you know, it's kind, he's empathetic. It's like you said, it's a, it's a clear denotation in her life to mark adulthood. And then like it, like she's ca- cast off this veil that life is something that's, that's going to happen one day instead of, you know, like it's here, <laughs> you're, you're in it right now. Right. This is happening. It's a physical reality for you. And then just the, just that turn at the end where she, she hemorrhaged steadily for six weeks and was not well again for a year. I don't, I don't know. I that that doesn't feel complicating of the enjoyment reading to you. Uh so well the that particular part that I read was her first abortion. The one that um she had to fly to New York for was her second abortion. The doctor was right. the first though. The with the three stars bottom of 68. That's not Oh, you're saying that so when it transitions onto 69, it says but this was 7 years later. And then it's the mm-hmm. mechanical one. I thought the Italian one was the first one because the kindly nurse on sixty nine is the new, is the updated, the the now, or at least that's oh, how right, I read right. it. Maybe yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not. Maybe yeah, it's something yeah, yeah. separate. You're right. But anyway, yeah. I just that the the Italian one. I didn't even remember her referencing the assembly line version, and I just remembered the after effects when she is so disillusioned when she gets back home with her husband and everything, and then the church scene. But the the Italian doctor part stood out to me a lot because it's maybe this is done commonly in horror films or horror genre, but to have a person who you know you're nervous, it's a medical procedure, you're hesitant. To have that friendly face, you know, that reassurance, it means so much. It's it's frightening and everything. But then just to have that twist at the end, I was like, oh, man, that's brutal. Like you you thought you left on this high or, or at least not high, but a comfort. You thought you left having done something important, successful, right. profound. And then just to get that like, yeah, but for a year I was ill. Like it's I don't know. That stuck with me for sure. I thought that was a that was a brutal little twist in the middle. It definitely was, especially I think. Um, the way that I read that because at that time when she did it um, with the Italian doctor that was when abortions were illegal right yeah, so right, right. The, that was like definitely I mean she was in a basement right like the procedure was done in yeah. like the basement of the hospital so it's like I mean already mm-hmm. creepy and yeah so it's I think it was it was something when she goes into something that where she has a, a definite idea of something but then her ideas don't match with um, what is allowed legally or what mm-hmm. society even approves of. Um, and even her second abortion, right? It's legal, right? But she doesn't even stay to do it in her own state. She flies to New right, York to right. do it. And I think that's the, but it's the pressure of not having the people that she knows know about it, right? And she goes to church because yeah, she's, yeah. Um, or to that. Uh, memorial and everything directly afterwards even though she's ill <laughs> right of course and it, so there's still that stigma about um abortion that she's trying to avoid 
Totally. Yeah, that was that was so brutal. The church scene too was, yeah. I don't know, something about a, a overly hot, just kind of you know humid and moist church service where there's where the stakes are too high and it's just loud and I don't know. That's a certain type of nightmare for sure. Yeah. This yeah. Is, yeah <laughs> so a certain type of horrifying for sure. Any other yeah, thoughts? Yeah, and you're then? feeling, and you're no, feeling totally alone because your husband is like neglecting you so that he can go whisper with right. a dude that you don't even like. <laughs> like right. Yeah. Nothing like some terrible. campaign strategy at a person's memorial service. But, you know, right. it, it is a symbolic <laughs> enough. I think people who are cynical about politicians and politics in general in, in America or any other, like, democratic society or what have you, a scene like that is a nice symbolic moment of just callousness, crassness, you mm-hmm. know, electoral politics over everything kind of a vibe. And so, yeah, that was yeah. a, I thought, a fitting enough scene. Any other, I didn't mean to cut you off earlier, any other thoughts yeah. on, on enjoying life uh, as a motif? Uh, nope, I think that's that's all that I had for today. Excellent. Okay. Mine is simple. Um, it's being trapped. That's what I went with. I felt like, now granted, hopping off of yours or segueing off of yours, I feel like a lot of these characters become free from traps, which is in a sense maybe where they'll find joy or something. But I did feel like the thing that jumped out in the first couple is characters who have a circumstance that has trapped them into a life they either don't understand or can't get out of or have to fight against or rebel or something. Let's start with, and I pulled three examples for this. Let's start with the first one from the, I'm just going to call it the Elvis story. And it's, <laughs> it's, He's he's trapped by fame, and so and, and and to contrast him and his prison of fame and expectation against her again, perfect foil. Th- third time, I bingo card for foil today. Nice. <laughs> um, but it's really the perfect contrast against it because of her simpler life, but full of contentment. You know, she doesn't even want to use the house he has to give her because he's so confused about what to do with his money and success. Doesn't know how to make it mean anything, and so mm-hmm. on seventeen. He talks to her. They have a conversation. Um, he says, he, or she says, she narrates, He looked at me real hard. He laughed short. They want what you got, but they don't want you. They want what I got, only it ain't mine. That's what makes them so hungry for me when I sing. They get in the flavor of something, but they ain't getting the thing itself. they like a pack of hound dogs trying to gobble up a scent. You talking about your fans? Right, right, he says. Don't worry about your fans, I say. They don't know their asses from a hole in the ground. I doubt there's an honest one in the bunch. That's the point, damn it, that's the point. He hits a table with his fist. It's so solid it don't even quiver. You need an honest audience. You can't have folks who's just going to lie right back to you. Yeah, I say it was small compared to yours, but I had one. It would have been worth my life to try and sing him somebody else's stuff that I didn't know nothing about. And so I'm just going to summarize the ending of the scene. So, okay, to resolve this conundrum, this professional quandary he's in, he calls Johnny Carson like the fakest I mean, what's faker than late night TV? Uh, is any construction that America has ever produced more fakely constructed than that? Interviews that have been pre-scripted, basically, with anecdotes that have pre- been pre-prepared, you know, in a format that's just meant to. Not that it, nothing. I'm not like criticizing it as a kind of institution or something, but it's if you want to have a real interaction with the world, and your first thought is it's time to go to the real audience in Johnny Carson, where they tell you when to laugh and cheer. <laughs> I mean, right. this man is like demented. He's uh, this is like demented thinking, and she, he clearly is so vexed by this his own condition in life. 
his own success that just to see that scene I thought was one of the more tragic moments now objectively speaking of course it's not nearly the most tragic life circumstance in this collection not even by a even close margin but I it struck me I don't know maybe I just felt like the first story was so good that it stuck with me but I felt like that was probably the clearest moment of just somebody so uh, immensely trapped by their own mentality and everything that it, I don't know, that yeah. stuck with me. I'm not sure what your reaction to it was. Yeah. I think that <laughs> that's a great choice too with the Johnny Carson, because if you continue on in the story and the actual like show that he yeah, goes on, yeah. it's like the audience is so fake there. Johnny Carson himself is, I mean, he's just there for the entertainment, right? It's not like he's trying to get, earth-shattering information about anything um and the reaction is just so not satisfying for him and he just doesn't understand why she's not vexed by it because she already knows that these people just don't they're not yeah she's got the quips about it right so she she's she's so knowledgeable about all that stuff and and he's just so vexed and confused and angry like a child he's very i guess naive and childish in a lot of ways and it, and i think that right, johnny carson right. stuff like really um highlighted that well and it is part of the spiral of celebrity and fame right is that you 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 maybe begin to acknowledge you become self-aware that it's unhealthy it's not producing the life you wanted and we could go on and on with the descriptions. But then if that's how you choose to resolve it, then you're spiraling down. You're not spiraling out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like you're resolving this, right. you know, your conundrums with life uh, in a philosophical way that it, you're just deepening it. So you're deepening your problems. So I, yeah, that moment stuck with me in terms of tra- being trapped. The other yeah. obvious one here, this is a rough transition because again, in terms of life objective circumstances, this is a completely different, more hor- horrifying, scenario but in the killing story there's a paragraph on 23 where the narrator says one time my mama was doing day's work at a private home and took me with her it was like being in fairyland everything was spotless and new even before mama started cleaning which is that's a great line i met the woman in the house and played with her children i didn't even see the man but he was in there somewhere while i got out in the yard with the children i was 14 but i guess i looked like a grown woman or maybe i looked 14 Anyway, that that day he picked me up when I was coming home from school, or the next day he picked me up when I was coming home from school, and he said my mom had asked him to do it. I got in the car with him. He took me to his law office, a big office in the middle of town, and he started asking me questions about how do you all live and what grade are you in and stuff like that. And then he began to touch me, and I pulled away. But he kept touching me, and I was scared. He raped me. But afterwards he told me he hadn't forced me, that I felt something for him, and he gave me some money. I was crying going down the stairs. I wanted to kill him. And then, thankfully, by the end, she does <laughs> and gets away with yeah. it, too. Um, anyway, that was that was me, by the way, not the story at the end. That was editorializing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Little opinion. Uh, but anyway, it, there's so much. This is such an economic and horrifying paragraph, and it does so many things well. The, the cleaning scene just really got me on the reread. That's such a great description of how to waste money when you have no – it's, again, just like we have no right. idea what to do. It's you're fixing problems that don't exist because you don't know what else to do. Anyway – and so, and also her own psychological conundrum of, I was 14, and I, but I guess I looked like a grown woman, or maybe I looked 14 anyway. It's She still has that kind of child's voice to her, but hearing a child try and articulate why they're being abused and taken advantage of, it's it's that's such a heartbreaking thing to have to listen to, because you know it's never going to be... 
it's never going to be fully coherently articulated by them or something. They don't, it's not only they're being abused, but it's also like they're too young. It's too soon for them to, I don't even start to comprehend some of these things. So it's hearing it in that voice is especially difficult. And so I just thought, and then of course, like, you know, he's the common term now is gaslighting, but afterwards, you know, he said he, I felt something for him, but I was crying the whole time. It's just the kind of disconnect and the manipulation here is so intense and so I, you know, this was, I think the second or third story, it was soon after, but yeah, it's, she writes characters well, who are, who are very deep and, and quite lost in a labyrinthian type of trap, you know, and this, this one's obviously so much more intense dealing with assault and rape and trauma and everything, but it's, this one stood out too, then following that motif up, I thought. Yeah, I think so. And, and the, the trapping here is. Man, like uh, physically trapped too, right? Because she, yeah, she into his physically office. cannot get away from him. Yeah, she's like boxed in and and upstairs and in a place that she doesn't know. Like, yeah, yeah so, in his power yeah. source, you know, in his in his domain, his dominant like literal castle type. You know, it's very that's a quite a potent symbol too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, horrifying. And you know, and then in that same paragraph, implications of class and of race too, though it doesn't come up directly, but it's. It yeah, I mean it's it's all there. It's just such a yeah, such a potent. I mean that's when short stories go well. They can do a paragraph like that, leave you with uh, so much to ponder and develop so right. much, such an economic space. It was yeah, I don't know. I thought it was incredible. Final motif for this trapped idea that I'm going to pull. This is from page eighty three, which I believe is from the porn story. I'm not certain. It is, yeah. Yep, couldn't let it go by. I haven't actually, for all I've <laughs> praised the sexual descriptions and such, I haven't actually quoted anything from that yet, so that's that's on me, y'all. I'm not doing my diligence here. <laughs> but enough summarizing, time to get to the quoting. Anyway, so this is kind of at the end. This is after he... Gosh, what a fascinating story, because I feel like we're in an age where like sharing your sexual desires, kink sharing, is kind of the new... It's the thing that's in, you know, be open be, you know, talk with your partners about this, be yourself, be open to new experiences, talk about what you're comfortable with, you know, get consent for everything and make sure it's, you know, really open consent and all that stuff. But this is a story of, uh, he shares his kink, presumably, and it really does not go well. You know, it like radically ruins the relationship that these people have basically. And so anyway, um, this is from a page on 83 that describes him. Now when he makes love to her, she tries to fit herself into the white woman, two black men story. But who will she be? The men look like her brothers, Bobo and Charlie. She is disgusted and worse bored by Bobo and Charlie. The white woman is like the young girl who, according to the Times, was seduced off a farm in Minnesota by a black pimp and turned out on 42nd Street. She cannot stop herself from thinking poor is to ignorant, sleazy is to depressing. This does not excite or stimulate. And then this is is the moment that I thought was really strong in terms of like short story construction and a little twist at the end, but it shifts to his point of view at the end when he is making love to her. And it finally shows us like, well, what is How is he responding to this after he, he showed his porn collection to her? And it's, he watches her face as he makes love uh, ex, as he makes expert love to her. He knows his technique is virtually flawless, but he thinks perhaps it could be improved. Is she moving less rhythmically under him? Does she seem distracted? There seems to be a separate activity in her body to which she is attentive and which is not connected to the current he is sending through his fingertips. He notices the fluttering at the corners of her eyelids. Her eyes could fly open at any at him at any moment. He thinks and look objectively at him. He shudders and holds her tight, and then it kind of it goes on with that 
that kind of sterile kind of clinical descriptions and he, you know, he's not connecting. Um, you know, later, where is she? He thinks, is she into, into fantasy or not? He must be. And then he kind of tries to adapt one of the roles, I think, from the porn. It's just a, a great twist because, you know, she's so well realized in the story. She has this extremely negative, even like visceral reaction to the porn he shows her and she's finds it exploitative and kind of discussing. It changes how they had this really dy- dynamic sexual relationship, very powerful one, and it could, this completely, you know, pulls the rug out from under it and changes her perspective of the relationships and, and everything. And then at the end, he's left robotically thinking like but i'm doing the moves you know i'm but what what's the you know how can i get a better angle and better you know dynamics and he's like a physics professor you know running his calculations and i thought it was just such a grim especially contrasted with how she opened the narrative maybe i should have pulled a quote from her point of view at the beginning when they when they make like you know great love and she's like enraptured but anyway i just thought that ending was because it's you know how is he trapped he's trapped by I don't know. It's kind of, he's trapped by his own sexual, I guess, like I said, kinks, but also it's an interesting story because he did open up to her and it's just, it wasn't the response he wanted. And now he's trapped in his head trying to be a kind of a sexual robot and it's, it doesn't work. I don't know. Do you find him trapped then? Am I misreading? I don't, I feel like my reading's messy on that one, but I feel like he is trapped by something. I think so. I, in, in conjunction with the other one, the other, uh, the coming apart one, I think, yeah, coming apart, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. where the men, you know, both of the, the men in those stories are kind of trapped by the, the, the lie that's being fed um, to specifically um, the black men in these during this time, which is, uh, I'm trying to find the quote, but, um, where pretty much it's the idea that the, you are freedom, um, is, uh, really that you are now allowed to see white women, uh, naked, right. was one of the right. quotes in there, something, something yeah. along those lines. Um, but what that does is, um, you know, it, again, the the then women of color in in porn and and erotic and stuff like that they are not depicted in the same way as white women or Asian women or whatever. Right. Um, so right. the they are trapped by this idea, right? In, in coming apart specifically, the male in that story um, thinks that he is better, right? She, I think she quotes it as like better than um, the his wife because he sees his wife as black whereas he is not black he's not white but he's not black because he is allowed to look at white women having sex and he can Mm -hmm. fantasize freely about that so he doesn't see himself as black um and so the he is trapped by that thought so i i get the the trappings there i think um, as far as, as your motif. So. Well, how do we read the, the narrator then of the porn story? Because it's as if she has this ecstasy laden freedom. Then, yeah. so is she trapped in the end? Would we, could we read the motif for her in some way too? Because I guess at that point she is trapped forever interpreting his desires and motives and their interactions will, are now always through the lens of the porn that he likes or likes. So yeah, I think that yeah. she's also trapped. Yeah, I think that's a good explanation, too. They're both yeah. trapped. I'd be fascinated to know when this story was published because, wow, porn has 
<laughs> porn has like become a thing since it, like this was written it seems you know this is magazine descriptions and such i think right these were all descriptions of magazines right yeah so goodness knows what I, I wonder if she's written an updated story trying to understand people's relationship to porn now in the internet age in the free porn.com every website's porn now age all that stuff and it's you know it's a wide complex vast category of things online now it's it's its own like world basically so i can't even fathom what she would have to say about it now i guess maybe part of my response to it then part of my response to the narrator main character reacting so harshly against it i guess is is partially modern then i don't again i'm not gonna try and generalize too much about the the american people's porn habits or whatever i'll let the statisticians get into that (laughs) quagmire but i just (laughs) i can't imagine somebody telling me if somebody told me in intimacy and they're like hey can we talk about the kind of porn we both like or is that something we can broach and you know we both agree to that and then they told me what he told me or in the you know in the story i'm trying to imagine this i don't what would the reaction be that's not that is isn't that kind of tame i don't know it's (laughs) it's certainly not something that would be shamed i don't think at least again this is very modern reading yeah just as a i don't know I, I quickly looked at the copyright dates and, and they range from, it's funny, it's actually like six dates, six years listed, but range from 1971 to 1981. So yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, I'm reading this 40 year. I'm reading this with a 40 year later, an entire adult lifespan basically of knowledge mm-hmm. <laughs> and porn has had an entire, in the internet age, it's basically had 20 lifetimes to evolve since this was written. So <laughs> I, man, I can't even fathom what you would make of it now. And I think yeah. the, the funny thing, so while the mechanics of this are fake or not fake, I'm sorry, while the mechanics of it don't hold up because porn has changed so much, the, the emotional reality of the story was very, well done i thought it was one of the better ones for sure Mm -hmm. i enjoyed it i thought the dynamic was well realized but it's just kind of like there are these certain it's like when you see an old black and white movie and it's like this was x-rated at the time and it's because there's like one gun scene and you're like well fuck man what have we done then i don't (laughs) talk about one gun scene like i just watched a movie where superheroes killed half the universe or whatever i don't even know what to say so it's it could just be a reaction kind of like that just sort of a time thing but the the emotions of it and i think you know this can happen in it doesn't have to be through porn, but I thought it was a well-realized moment of how these emotional things, how they wrap up with your sexual life, how they can so quickly change, and it can be something. It could be something big, could be something small. But I thought that part, that transformation, was really well done. It just reading descriptions of porn that now feels so, I don't know, like simple or straightforward, or I don't know. It, that part disconnected with me, but I think everything else was really well done. I like that story. Yeah, I agree. Would, that that was yeah. one of my favorite stories as well. What would the okay? So let's say we take the basic emotional truth of it and we try and update it. This is not a segment, by the way. I'm just making this up. <laughs> what would what would the modern version of that be? Do you think then? Because it, it it's essentially a kink disconnect, right? Am I misreading that or am I saying the wrong terms for that? But that's kind of my understanding of the story. It was sort of a person shares their sexual openness with someone else, and it causes this cascade, right? Was that how you would summarize it, kind of? Yeah. Kind of. I I saw it as. Uh, that's part of it but also the what she finds um most disturbing about that is the depictions of the women in particular 
Oh yeah. Well, that's but you could easily apply that to today's kinks, things like bondage yeah. and domination right. and stuff, which often right. is actually, at least from my knowledge, is something I'm not into. But isn't that? It's often is. I think I feel like always depicted as the man desires it. I, anyway, that's my knowledge of the community. I'm not really in. So, <laughs> but anyway, but yes, no, completely. This is about exploitation. There's things about race in there, of course, too, as well. She writes well about those intersections. But I don't. I'm not sure what the modern version of this would be. I'm not sure what jumps out as kind of. What would be the revelation of today with a partner that would be that would hit in that way? I guess it could be something very similar, I suppose. Something about domination and power dynamics and that that can become yeah. kind of gross if it's not something that's, you know, shared. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, a, yeah, like I said, yeah. well-realized story. Did you any thoughts on that one that I that we didn't hit? I don't think so. Okay, excellent. Well, I'm closing out my motifs. That was my last one. Any other thoughts on the motifs or any others to give shout-outs to? Um, just the, the other one that I noticed, too, was um, the idea of, of miscommunication and non-communication. Yeah. That was a huge one. Yeah, definitely don't communicate your sexual desires by showing the porn. Maybe talk it through first. <laughs> maybe under, maybe go to therapy first, and then, you know, when you understand it or something, you come, you know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, and if you are bothered by it, then talk it out. Don't just, like, yeah. shut down. <laughs> yeah, that's, and, and then, yeah, and then continue on with the, yeah, that's, that's a tough thing. Anyway, okay, final segment then. We'll wrap up this part one book club with the Please Continue Make It Stop segment. Now, this is an interesting one, another segment that explains itself in the name. We're each going to pick out one thing we want to continue, one thing we want to stop. But this is unique because it can't – we know it's short stories, right? So it has to be more stylistic or thematic, not really based on the story, obviously. Um, Why don't you start us off, Amanda? You could do uh, Please Continue, Make It Stop or both. What you got? Sure. I'll do my Please Continue. Um, I said I would love – more exploration um, exploration of how pornography identity and objectification are intertwined. Um, I love those stories and the ideas behind them. And I thought that the, those stories are, are really thought provoking um, as I hadn't thought much about those relationships before. I hadn't thought about how porn can affect a relationship <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. or like how it, uh, can affect your perception of yourself and of, of, of a group of people that you identify with. So um, I find that really fascinating, and mm-hmm. I'd love to see more of that. Well, and as we just said, I and I hope I was trying to hedge at the end just to make my point clear, but I, I thought that story was so well done. I hope it didn't seem too critical. It was more of the time no. disconnect, but <laughs> but yeah. no, I think I would love more of that because she, she writes it so well. Mine, my please yeah. continue similar. It's just intimacy. I think she writes it with good clarity. She doesn't overwrite it, which is a, a symptom, a really heinous symptom of a lot of male writers I admire, but like when they get in the bedroom, it's like, man, you don't have to do five pages. You just don't. <laughs> she, she loves to get uh, a couple of words in, a couple images, a couple you know descriptions and then kind of let it be let it go i think so she avoids some cliches too which i think is is good it's it's very easy to overwrite this and she doesn't do that so it's i find it very clear-eyed and she has just the right eye for metaphor and kind of makes it kind of lively and it's kind of a lovely balance i think so and i think the um the scene and i pulled the quote i won't read it because i've gone on overly long but in the porn scene there's a, a couple lines where that when they're making love and she in her memory is like it's interrupted by descriptions of the porn i found those descriptions maybe a little heavy-handed you know and it was like okay i get you know it's maybe going on again a bit too long but 
the intimacy and stuff was just so well done. More more intimate stories, I guess. It's like if, if this is where if this is the first time in the pod we're really broaching this, this feels like as good a hand, a steady hand as any for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how about for your make it stop? Um, mine is more of just like a question for me rather than um, straight up criticism because mm-hmm. I do like her style and I like um, every every story that she's included in here so far. But my 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 question is why is Alethea written all in italics? Yeah, I don't know. The entire story <laughs> is written in italics, um, and I know that it's not actually which which was the Uncle Albert story. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not actually her thoughts because unless she refers to herself in third person, I don't know, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. But it, I just found it kind of distracting that it was all in italics because I was expecting some piece to not be in italics or something, right? Like there was, mm-hmm. there's a reason for italics, which is usually for emphasis or to indicate a change in narration or something like that. But there was. <laughs> no change so i was like <laughs> by the end of it i was like yeah. okay i liked the story but why was it in italics um so that was that's that's my only little thing it's a I great noticed. pick and to think i you writing that down bringing it up has rekindled the memory for me it's strange <laughs> to think an author could make such an obvious and intense persistent decision and i have zero things to say about it i have literally no reaction to it. i don't even i remember that but i have i don't even have a theory as to why that was there <laughs> i did it didn't even register in my brain or something yeah i can't help you with that one at all that's a, that's a good <laughs> one i don't think she's made i mean her other bold decisions there was that one page story that i thought was kind of interesting and then there's mm-hmm. the the killing story i thought was pretty bold because of the title and the the narrative intensity and, and pace and everything so it's like her other decisions i think have worked other right. well then there was the nonfiction one but i already already talked about that so yeah i think mostly it's worked but that one almost didn't even it, it was maybe so bold i didn't even see it <laughs> it's like so obvious i was like oh geez what happened anyway right my make it stop i'll be brief and it's more it's i almost mean this is a joke but it it did truly i i this is sincere in that i the third or fourth time it happened i was like Ugh, i i don't want more of this um but it's not a severe one or anything i would like uh, her to stop writing characters but especially the narrators who are creatives or creative professionals it's just <laughs> it's like every character is having a writing crisis or they're doing some poetry or they're making a song so it's, you know, the classic advice is write what you know. And so, you know, respect be to that. It seems like a cadence of life and a, and a mentality she knows really well as a well-achieving or, you know, high-achieving author herself. But I just, I don't know. I think just the, the conceit of it or something is starting to get to me. It's like, do they all have to be authors or do they all have to be writing or narrating or doing creatives? Mm-hmm. Now, there's been enough exceptions, of course. I'll hold up my hands at that. Like, I, the, the killing story is an exemplary version of just a narrator in a completely different scenario. So there's definitely been exceptions. But I think I could do without any more narrators who are dealing with the cadences of a professional creative life, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. There, are several of the the uh, narrators are are her in, in some ways. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like Alice Walker in some ways. Um, but you know, th- there are slight differences in in the themes when she does certainly use those characters. So 
Certainly. And they've all been great. I mean, the stories have worked perfectly well. And so it's, you know, I, I shrug my shoulders. I would like that to stop, but it should it continue. It seems like she's got plenty of angles and lenses and there's a, she has a lot to say. So it's like, okay, yeah. you know, it's fine. It's, if it continues, I'm just, you know, I can only shrug at it. But it the third or fourth time it happened, I legitimately did notice it and go like, oh, geez, is this okay? Like most of these narrators are going to be creatives. Okay. And like a lot of writers. All right. <laughs> anyway, so. Yeah. Did you uh, did you notice it at all or not until I said something? No, I noticed it for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure if that would if that would bug you or if you would. Anyway, to see a short story collection so well done, but then to have that repeat, I think it's and especially since so many of them have different dialect and stuff, that's maybe what made it pop even more. It was kind of like, wow, you never know what the narrator's going to sound like, and then it's like, ah, oh, it's mm-hmm. but it's a you know they're creative. Anyway, any final yeah. thoughts on the first half of You Can't Keep a Good Woman Down by Alice Walker? Uh, no, I'm, I'm really enjoying it and yep. yeah, I, I want to go back and read the color purple again sometime. <laughs> Fantastic. Maybe it'll end up on the pod. We never know. And I needed to, I will say for my part, I needed a full on, gosh, see, now I don't know my medical terminology. I needed a full on heart shock after last book. <laughs> so this is, <laughs> I needed a full blown uh, heart trans. What, what are the things you rub together and you clear? What, what is that called? Uh, um, I know. I don't. Right? Rem- um, I don't remember. But you're talking about resuscitation. I needed a goddamn shockwave to my literary heart, <laughs> is what I needed. I just needed a blast <laughs> after the last. If you didn't listen to our last book clubs, just don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> maybe read the. Maybe listen to the recommendation, and you know, do what you live your lives how you want. I'm, we'll be here doing our thing. But yeah, no, this has been such a great transition surprise. It's, these are so well done really coherently written. I was actually just doing a short story just for fun and, you know, outside the pod and reading one by an author I really like. And his are really falling flat for me. It's very disappointing. It's like an author I really love his couple of things I've read by him. I was like, oh yeah, I'll do short story collection. That's great. And like, I've, I'm only like a third of the way or like a quarter of the way, but there's been a couple of duds in there and I'm just like, oh man, you know, so this was great. Yeah. Nice supply. Nice surprise. All right. We have other books coming up on the podcast if this one did not delight or interest you, though we will be, as I mentioned, doing the second half of this next Friday, so usual cadence for book clubs for us. Our next three books coming up after this one is done in order are My Favorite Thing is Monsters by Emil Ferris, The Dark Tower, The Gunslinger by Stephen King, and then Field Notes from a Catastrophe by Elizabeth Colbert. And so not much to say about those. We just like to mention them just in case you want to Google them or do some research, see what might interest you. I guess I'll give the only shout out there I'll give is that my favorite thing is Monsters is our first graphic novel. So that's kind of new territory for us. I think we're going to have to invent some new segments for that, I think. Uh, We'll see. (laughs) We'll we'll talk off the pod and not bog the listeners down. Any final thoughts, Amanda, before we close out? Uh, Nope, I'm good. Excellent. Okay, as always, follow our social media accounts, rate and review us on podcast platforms. We thank you so much for listening, as always. And until next time, we'll see you between the pages.